Welcome to a brand new program right here on the Funnel Radio channel. It's the flagship program, Funnel Radio, hosted by Jim Obermeyer and Susan Finch. This program is dedicated to finding and bringing forth new sales and marketing processes and technology. Telling you all about them. So here's the man, armed and ready to go today. The man who seems to know just about everybody in this industry, Jim Obermeyer. Hey, Jim. Thank you, Paul Roberts. Paul Roberts is our announcer on the Funnel Radio channel. Our program today is highlighting Dan McDade, who's been a longtime supporter of the Sales League Management Association and a guest on CRM and SLMA Radio. We recorded this about a week ago. Dan joins us to talk about how to manage prospects in a new and more productive way. Listen in. Dan founded Point Clear in 1987 to help B2B companies with complex sales processes drive revenue through lead generation, qualification, and nurturing. He's recently opened up a company called Prospect Experience, and I've really been enthused about this, obviously, from the Sales Lead Management Association standpoint. Dan authored a book on the truth about leads, one of the few books in the industry, I might add, about leads and sales leads, and I recommend everyone get a copy. It's only been out a few years. It's important that every marketing manager read it. Dan, in his association with the Sales Lead Management Association, has been named several times to the 50 most influential people in sales lead management, actually for five consecutive years, and has named one of the top 50 sales and marketing influencers for three years by Top Sales World. Welcome today. I'm really enthusiastic about our subject here, prospect experience and about your company. Tell me about it. Well, Jim, great to be with you. And um, you know, one of the things that I've been doing, as I know probably you and many of your listeners and viewers do, is uh, read more and more about customer experience. I think you know CX or customer experience is the red hot thing right now. And it caused me to take a step back and say, you know, having happy customers is great. You absolutely want to do that. You want to do everything you can to invest in your customers to keep them. But you know, you have to have prospects, and you have to close prospects in order to have customers. And I think that the prospect experience is really abysmal right now. I mean, you see people that are being approached by pushy appointment setters or low-level telemarketers reading from a script or being barraged by email. And you know, I think it's very important to take a fresh look at what is the prospect's experience with your company and how could you improve that prospect experience so you can close deals. There's a guy from a company called Revenue Storm who has a great line. He said, this isn't a matter of doing things better. It's a matter of doing things different. And that's what I'm suggesting with the prospect experience is that, you know, we need to do things differently. Dan, the software out there, artificial intelligence, CRM, <laughs> marketing automation, all of these software packages, Dan, are solving the customer and the prospect experience. So why do we need, I know why we need to look at prospect experience. I'm just pulling your chain, obviously. I was so enthused about this because I think people have leapfrogged this. I think one of those subjects that Marketing managers suddenly decide, oh, that's covered because of the CRM. And it's covered by uh, marketing automation. It's covered artificial intelligence. They tell us something and we tell them something back and they're really happy. And then we call them late in a sales cycle and then they buy from us. Tell us more about this prospect experience. And I notice on your website that you've got a 12-point prospect experience transformation process. And you've certainly got the experience to know this out of the hundreds and hundreds of clients you had through Point Clear through all of the years. Tell us about this 12-point prospect experience transformation. 
Well, as I sat down and looked at what's important, in fact, it was sort of similar to when I sat down originally uh, with Quinclair and talked about, you know, what do I want? What do I want our employees to look like? And I want our employees to be nice, smart, curious, hardworking, and ethical. And they call that Dan's big hand theory. And it sort of guided our hiring. And when people would come to visit us, you know, they would say, gosh, you know, you people are nice. They're smart. They're curious. I bet you they're hardworking and ethical. And it also was funny because some people would would pull themselves out. I mean, we would be prepared to hire somebody and they would say they've decided they're not interested. And a couple of times I pressed and they would say they weren't one of those things. They weren't very curious, as an example. And they could tell that you, they needed to be curious if they worked with us. Well, the same thing is true with thinking about customer experience and prospect experience. And one of the keys, which goes back to Brian Carroll, the universal lead definition, is to make sure that everybody in the company is basically pulling in the right direction or the same direction at least, and that there's a definition of a lead. That's probably one of the most important of the 12 uh, transformation processes that I outlined. You mean the marketing operations manager, the content manager, the CMO, the product manager, the sales manager, and the salespeople, all of those different titles agree what a sales lead is or a lead is. They need to all sign off on the definition of a lead. In fact, taking it one step further, they need to agree to have what I refer to as a judicial branch, especially at the beginning, once a lead definition has been established to make sure that either the leads that are going from marketing to sales meet that definition. If they don't, for some reason, how do we fix that? If they meet that definition, but they're being dropped by sales, then how do we fix that issue? And that's what I refer to as the judicial branch can take care of. But it starts with having a universal lead definition. And most companies they really don't have that. You know, I was just reading recently a couple of articles about this, and it was in the low teens of companies that shared a mutual definition of a lead. Now, you're not just talking about BAMS, budget authority, need, and time frame. I know how much you love that, Dan. <laughs> I know you've been behind it all of these years. Yeah, yeah. And we've actually yeah. had a few discussions why we disagree on that. But obviously, in this instance, it's a lot more than BAMS. Well, the problem with BANT in my mind, and we've talked about this before, is is that if you're disqualifying based on certain BANT criteria, the chances are you're disqualifying some of the best opportunities, opportunities where you can get in early and shape the evaluation and have a better chance of winning the business than if you get in late. People that are saying that 57 to 75% of the sales process is complete before a sales rep needs to get involved, it's just wrong. ITSMA has come out and said, that's a myth. And their findings are that people, managers want to be involved with salespeople and with um, supplier companies at early stage, mid stage and late stage in an evaluation because they know they're going to learn something. They may be trying to solve a problem one time where the suppliers out there have solved the problem multiple times and have a lot to offer in the process. So the BANT criteria, that doesn't even really overqualify. I think it misqualifies leads. Because if you're waiting for budget authority, need, and time frame, budget and time frame being the disqualifiers, not everybody's going to have a budget. Not everybody's going to have a specific time frame. And the best salespeople don't worry about time frame because they know they can sell around that and accelerate the process. So authority and need, the and portion of the answer are, are probably the most important uh, traits. I agree with you. One great universal trait all prospects have is they lie. <laughs> they're not going to give time frame. They're not necessarily going to give budget, especially if they don't know the sales rep. So therefore, they can be disqualified very early on if those two things aren't revealed because the prospect has lied because they don't want to give it up. What's your next item on your 12-point experience transformation list? Well, probably the total addressable market. I think the companies um, tend to... Um, prospect too broadly in many cases. A couple of folks that we've worked with over the years have done just an excellent job 
of really zeroing in on the target market. It's very difficult if the target market is somewhat undefined. You know, for example, I get calls and emails at least four or five times a week from people trying to sell us lead generation services. And so they haven't even gone to the trouble of looking at my LinkedIn profile and knowing anything about me when they send that email or they make that call. You know, how do you define the, the largest but the most accurate total addressable market? If you don't do that on the front end, then you find yourself prospecting too broadly. So that's what you're talking about, drilling down, not spending too much money on people that aren't going to really be prospects. Isn't right. that what AI is supposed to do? Isn't that the delivery of AI being able to do that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what they say. I was talking to somebody at Georgia Tech recently about that, and I used to have three PhD statisticians reporting to me doing nothing but multivariate regression analysis on big data files. And you know, he said, well, if you understand all that, you understand AI. You know, the problem with AI, I think, is, is that you, you sort of have a garbage in, garbage out. Some of these surge and intent vendors that you have out there, I've tested several of them, and the information is just not reliable. One time I had a sample of 25 companies based on artificial intelligence are supposed to be great targets for me. As it turns out, there were only two companies that were even qualified. There were three churches, a couple of hospitals. There was just a mishmash of, of companies in this yet they were all qualified supposedly by artificial intelligence as surge and intent data. So I, I think you just have to be careful. You know, everybody wants to talk about AI. AI is going to revolutionize things. Like, there's no doubt about that. But at the same time, you can't take most companies, most B2B companies, addressable market, and depend on AI to guide you as to which company you should be calling next. I think that you have to be very careful with that. That's why the segmentation, after you've got the total addressable market, the segmentation to you go after what I call the less expensive barrels of oil. You know, how do you segment that list so that the very top group maybe responds at 9% and the very bottom group responds at 1%? Where do you draw the line in order to be the most effective and most efficient at your prospecting? So is this number three on your website market segmentation? Right. So you're prioritizing high return segments and narrowing those people down. What about number four? We may not finish all of these today, in which case uh, we're interviewing Dan McDade here. Today, we're talking about the prospect experience and his company. If we don't get to all of them today, please go to his website, prospect-experience.com. What's the next part of this? Well, you know, actionable market intelligence is something that we provide to clients as a, almost a byproduct of what we do. And what I'm talking about there is, let's say you're telling, selling some sort of technology solution and, you know, there's certain indicators. I talk about when you, when you qualify a company, you're looking for what's their pain or need What's the priority to do something about the pain or need? What's the process to do something about that pain or need? And then what's the environment? And once you know something about the environment, the environment might mean if you're selling a CRM solution or an ERP solution and how likely it is that they'll change and then what time frame will they change. Once you've identified those things, you can then segment the market and go back after the market with that kind of actionable market intelligence because you know something. For example, somebody might sunset a solution and they're not going to go out there and they're not going to shout it out to the market. But if you're a competitor and you offer something that will help them bridge the gap between the current solution and where they're going to be next, it's great to have that information on file because you can use that information to really target in on the best prospects. I really like what you'd said on your website. There's no such thing as a wasted call. What's number five on your list, Dan? Well, the value statements, you know, how do you differentiate? How are you credible? You know, how does your solution or your service fit the prospect's needs? You know, what benefits will they get? 
I think that it's, it's an area where people do a lot of talking about me, you know, talking about my solution and what my solution does as opposed to what your needs are. So how do we create value statements that are all about the buyer? How do we make the buyer the hero in the story? Well, we've reached the fifth one. We're going to take a quick break to pay some bills and hear from our customers. We've been speaking with Dan McDade. He's got a company called Prospect-Experience. I think it's a long overdue issue. We're going through the items that he talks about that CMOs need to focus on. Dan can be reached at 770-262-9021. And the company is prospect-experience.com. Paul, over to you. You know, chances are you've invested heavily in the interaction between your customers and your company. According to Gartner, CMOs prioritize customer experience but they fail to prioritize or even think about prospect experience. Transforming your prospect experience may be the smartest way to accelerate revenue and boost your reputation at the same time. Learn about the 12 ways we're talking about them today to improve your prospects experience. Go to www.prospects, that's plural, P-R-O-S-P-E-C-T-S, prospects-experience.com. Find out more. Find out what you're forgetting in the equation. Well, here's a man who forgets nothing in the equation, Jim Overmare. Thank you, Paul. It's nice to hear from our sponsors today. We've been speaking with Dan McDade, the CEO, president of Prospect-Experience. He's given us the definition of what a prospect experience is. I think it's something that our, our CMOs and our marketing communications managers passed over because they're thinking software takes care of it and they're making their own decisions and they all believe a few consulting firms in the industry that I'll go, I just won't name, who said that 70% of the people have all the information and before they talk to a sales rep and I haven't agreed with it since they opened their mouths. Tell us about the last five points, Dan. I think some of these are the most important. It's kind of like the last part of a book that has all the meat in it. Tell us about the last five. I'll go over them briefly and then maybe deep dive into a couple of them. You know, there there was an article in Forbes talking about, do you have defendable differentiators? So differentiators is one of the 12 points in the process. And they talk about either you have to have defendable differentiators when you're going into sell, or you just have to be able to outsell the competition. For example, there's a lot of mediocrity in what's the so-called lead generation business. So, you know, how do you actually prove to people that what you do is different? And so that was number six. Number seven is developing the playbook. And developing the playbook is not about reading a script and having people say yes or no, trying to push and set appointments. It's really understanding the buyers and what's motivating to do something or what's motivating them not to do something. And a change is always difficult. So how do you create a situation where they, they're ready to make a change? The marketing resource and assessment plan, one of the things that I think that pretty much everybody agrees with is that companies develop far too much material for their salespeople, and it's because salespeople asking, keep asking for something different. Well, how do you assess what you currently have, do a gap analysis, determine what you don't have that you need, and make sure that you're creating the right material so you do a little bit of a marketing resource and assessment plan. Benchmarking the metrics in the reporting, one of the things, for example, is that historically... of the opportunities that we have generated for our clients come as a result of a callback, an email back, or what we refer to as a scheduled call. And to your point a little while ago, sales reps are saying, I don't leave messages because nobody ever returns my call. Well, nobody ever returns a call if you don't leave a message. (laughs) And and I've also had a situation which you alluded to just a couple of minutes ago is in the persistence is incredibly important. We call it persistence with professionalism, but 
we put together what is now called a cadence, which is number 10 on the list, but multi-touch, multimedia, multi-cycle processes. And the cadence is designed to have at least a 50% chance of getting your targeted decision maker on the telephone. And the reason that 50% is important, by the way, so that's part of the benchmarking and metrics is, is that you don't want to overinvest on a prospect. You know, it may be that now is just not the, the right time. I can't tell you how many times we've called people in a second touch cycle and they said, yeah, I, I got your voicemail, I got your email, and I was kind of interested in it, but I was extremely busy. In fact, the, the biggest deal we ever helped a client close was a billion-dollar deal for a business process outsourcing company, and it was on the 42nd touch in the third month that we got the individual on the telephone. Five months later, that closed as a billion-dollar deal. So we know that persistence with professionalism works. I mentioned cadence management, you know, how many mm-hmm. dials per day, how many emails do you send, how many conversations are you having, how many touches do you make in the course of a touch cycle, how long is a touch cycle. Cadence management is very important. The next one, nurturing, I think, is maybe the number one thing on this list. But you know, that's supposed know. to solve all problems, Dan. Yeah, yeah. Buy the, automa- buy the marketing automation program, fire three people in the marketing department, and lower, reduce the number of salespeople in marketing automation. We'll take care of everything. Yeah, and, and you've heard my line about this before, which is not every senior executive wants to be treated like the human equivalent of a pinball, only getting your attention <laughs> when they've hit the right bumpers and scored enough points. And that's the definition of marketing automation. So and I'm not saying marketing automation is bad, but as an example, specifically having to do with marketing automation, I would never put my top 20 or 30% of my prospects into a marketing automation. I might put the bottom 30 or 40% because I can't really afford to reach out to them and, and invest as much time and money as I can the top 30%. And then in the middle, what I you know call sometimes the great unwashed, it's a constant battle of testing. I always say, don't ever put go all in with marketing automation. Take a 10% sample out and make sure that you know that you at least you validate the scoring algorithm, but probably more likely you're going to calibrate that scoring algorithm over a period of time. So, but nurturing... It's possible to triple the results of any kind of marketing campaign using nurturing. And that's because instead of basically treating a a company that either it's a lead or it's not, either I can schedule an appointment or I can't, and it goes a lot deeper than that, you're qualifying companies and some of those companies are going to become opportunity short term. Some of them are going to need a nudge or two over the course of the next two or three months before you're ready to turn them over to sales. Turn them over to sales too early, sales gets discouraged, and then your whole program is shot. And then finally, there's companies we refer to as nurtures that are critically important. You've identified it's the kind, right kind of company, they're a qualified company, you've got qualified contacts, you know something about their environment, but now is just not the right time. You want to avoid the 30 or 40% on the list that are truly not qualified and really focus on those that are worth nurturing over a period of time. We had one situation with a long-term client, actually somebody that was on your show at one point, and we showed over the course of three or four years that they moved from a no response, we never could get them on the phone, the first cycle of contact, then they became a nurture, then then a pipeline, finally a lead, and then a closed one, and that closed for $100,000 per month of monthly recurring revenue. So staying on top of that lead over a period of time or that prospect over a period of time was critically important to the success. And like I said, if the average program, let's say you contact 1,000 people by telephone and you generate 50 leads, a lot of times that's where things stop. If leads are thrown over the fence to sales, you never really know what the ROI on the program was. And sales you know, sometimes falls up on them, sometimes they don't for what serious decisions calls non-intuitive reasons. I called twice, they didn't call me back, so they must not really have been a lead. And that's not persistent enough to follow up to a lead. 
you want you just want to make sure that you're touching with the right cadence you're touching the right companies and you're staying with them for a longer period of time you just just don't give up i've had situations where prospects have said you know i got a call from this other company abc company and they left a message and i was kind of interested i said you know they'll call back but they never called back and you called back so i i'm interested in you because you had enough persistence to stay on top of me and make sure that i got one that's correct and then this all adds up to we come back to the technology stack yeah the technology stack and the companies are spending in excess of $1000 a month in many cases now on technology and to a ceo whenever i ask the question how is that working out for you they say well we really don't know you know and 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 they oftentimes just like anything else in outsourcing they oftentimes blame themselves they say you know we're only using probably 5 or 10% of the solution so we really can't blame the vendor you know we have to blame ourselves because we're really not using the solution to its fullest potential i still go back and blame the vendor if the vendor sells you something and allows you to misuse it you know i think it's on them it's not on you so the technology stack it's important to have a technology stack but what you don't want to do is use your technology stack to automate bad processes you want to first have good processes and then use the technology stack to scale those processes i love what you've done here i love the marketing resource assessment and plan i certainly like the defendable differentiators because i'm in sales i like the playbook because that implies sales process which is something that's so often a sales and marketing process that's lacking now tell me how your company fits into all this is it an assessment that you do do you do a gap analysis on prospect experience grade that and that allow the company to fix it on themselves or do you volunteer to step forward and bring your team in to fix what's needing fixing. Yeah, I think it can be done a couple of different ways. Uh, one of the things a friend of mine who was a client actually years ago had this um he called it a placemat and the placemat listed all of the services that he offered and he said that that was the only piece of collateral that he ever needed because a executive would sit down with this placemat in front of him and say, "Okay, I definitely need one. I definitely need two. I don't need three. I don't need four. and they would actually sell themselves looking at the placemats. So all you'd have to do is respond and say, "Okay, I can help you with 1 2 you don't need my help with 3 and 4 etc cetera, etc cetera. so one of the ways to use it is to let them go through and kind of self diagnose another way is to provide them with a little bit of a report card by sitting down for an hour and going through these 12 points so we're willing to go in on any basis we're willing to go in from a consulting standpoint or an advisory standpoint and just help figure out what needs to change even if they feel like they can do it on their own that's fine in a lot of cases you know they won't know how to do it on their own and this all comes down to if some of these 12 items are fixed it's going to make a difference in revenue that's all i know you're revenue oriented that is the end goal is to fix the issue repair it and get the prospect experience going so they close at a higher rate than your competitors right i you know my um my best example of this even if you just go back to the number one item which is universal lead definition it was a client we worked with that went through 100 million dollars literally 100 million dollars because the marketing department was marketing point solutions and the sales department only wanted to sell enterprise deals they only wanted to sell a deal that was a million dollars plus and they never could reconcile this it seems so simple you know looking back at it but and we were frustrated because we were responsible for reaching out into the market and generating opportunities and the SVP of sales at the is still a friend of mine to this day but they would complain endlessly about the fact that these leads weren't the kind of leads they were looking for and this guy's name is Paul and I said Paul you've got more sales people than there are million dollar leads and million dollar deals out there as a matter of fact they're the biggest company 
in their market at one point had a $10 billion market cap. And they sold point solutions where the our client company, the sales group only wanted to sell enterprise solutions. So that's a good example of how it's as simple as it sounds, if you don't have sales and marketing on the same page regarding what you want to sell and who you want to sell it to, then obviously you're going to be not doing a very good job of optimizing revenue. We have solved these problems multiple times for our clients. So you know, we've either worked with them or we've actually seen a client do something, for example, total addressable market. I've got one client who's been to two different companies over the last 10 years, and he does the absolute best job of narrowing down his target market to a finite number. And he's just absolutely ruthless. People are coming up to him all the time talking about, let's go over to this market, let's go over to this market. No, here's the market we're concentrating on. Right now, it's about a 5,000 company market. And as the old company you worked with, it was about 1,200 companies. But being able to just absolutely stay focused on that market just allows you to do a much better job than if there's you look at it and there's food everywhere. No matter where you go, there's, there's, a, there's a reward for you. And that just doesn't work at the end. So you've been in the prospect experience business really for over 20 years. You just didn't call it that at the time. Right. But you've coalesced all of these things you've learned into this effort. But I think you've got a winner here. Now, how does someone reach you, Dan? Well, a couple of ways. You can go to dan7208 at gmail.com, dan7208 at gmail.com, or you can call 770-262-9021. And there's a couple of forms you can fill out. There's some, there's some good articles uh, in our insight section on our website, which is prospect-experience.com. Excellent. I think this is a winner. We're going to recommend you to other hosts on the Funnel Radio channel. You've been very open today about how you would approach this. Get a lot of attention in the marketplace for those marketing managers that suspect they haven't quite solved the equation. Dan McDade from Prospect Experience, thanks for your time today. Jim, thank you very much. I enjoyed it. You've been listening to the flagship program right here on the network, Funnel Radio, for at-work listeners like you.